encourage you to take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a new chapter this morning, a new topic. We're going to cover verses 1 through 3, and then following tonight, title of the message is God's spiritual gifts to His children. And these are all blessings, as we have seen from the beginning of the book, that God had saved so many out of Corinth and given them the greatest pastor who ever lived, that, that would be Apostle Paul. Uh, Peter had an influence. Cephas, uh, uh, Apollos had an influence as well. 
And yet we see this church, after three or four years, is in total disarray. You have to remember that there's not a lineage of Christians in this church. This is, these are new believers. These are Jews and Gentiles that have come to Christ and have not followed after him as they should have. And then we see incredible problems within the church. Paul has moved on to another missionary journey, and he has, is hearing of these things, and he's writing these letters back. There were a total of four letters that were actually written uh, that are mentioned, uh, two of them that we actually have, First and Second Corinthians, obviously. And so this correction continues on, and as we finish this first book, we'll move on into the second, because uh, if they're not going on in our church, we need to make sure that we're guarded against any of these things happening. So with that in mind, look there in verse 1. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So again, these are all blessings of the Lord, spiritual gifts from God to His children. And the first thing we see in verse 1 is this, God wants us to understand the spiritual gifts. He spends pretty much three chapters explaining it uh, to the Corinthians, re-explaining it, and, and to us as we turn to His Word, uh, we see it in what He desires of it, uh, why he has given it, uh, the ones that are still in effect today, the ones that are not, and we'll cover all those in detail in the coming uh, weeks as we work our way through this, these chapters. So he wants us to understand them. Uh, Adam Clark in his commentary says and defines spiritual gifts as gracious endowments leading to miraculous or supernatural results. These gifts that God has given us, we were not born with. We, we have received them from the Holy Spirit so that God might use them to bring glory to God and edification to the church. Speaking with a lady this week and um, about the Lord, obviously, and I, we'd added her to our devotional list, but she just won't come to church. And so I, I just asked her the question, well, you know, it, it, you can worship the Lord, you know, every day, but, but he does call us to be a part of a local body, to be a member of a church, because God has gifted you with a spiritual gift, and you, you must find out what that spiritual gift is so that God would be glorified in it, and so that the church, the, the body of believers that you are a part of, can be edified, can be encouraged, can be strengthened by. And I just ask her, what is your spiritual gift? Well, she doesn't know because she's uninformed. She's uninformed. Do you ever want to be ignorantly in bliss? Do you want to? No, we want to be informed. God wants us to be informed. And so you're going to be 
encouraged throughout this lesson. And, and if you go through the new members class, we spend a whole section in that four-week study on spiritual gifts, identifying yours, taking a test to find out what seems to be your spiritual gift as a Christian so that you can employ it in the church for God's glory and the benefit of others. And that's what we see. They're gracious endowments. Gracious means we didn't earn them. We didn't deserve them. It was just a gift from God. And we'll be going through many of those tonight, kind of defining some. And, and again, you're just going to have to, we're going to go through this slowly but surely so that we understand what God through Paul wants, wanted this church to know in 1 Corinthians 2,000 years ago in our church for today. He wants us to understand these things. This is a gift from him, a spiritual gift, a spiritual blessing. But I want you to be reminded, look at the list of the things that we've already covered that was happening in this church. The sin of division, of incest, intolerance, of unforgiveness, the sin of fornication, the sin of divorce, idolatry, the sin of misidentification. The men were dressing like women, the women like men, and, and, and that's a sin. God created us, male and female, He created us. And so we, we, dealt, we dealt a couple, three messages on that. The sin of, of selfishness and impatience with, with the Lord's Supper. We saw that they were dishonoring God. They were, they were not confessing their sins and preparing for the Lord's table as they should. And, and God punished some of them by making some sick and even killed some of them for bringing shame to the table of the Lord. And now we're, we're stepping into the sin of unloving pride and jealousy over spiritual gifts. I mean, gifts that were given for the glory of God and the blessing of others were turned inward. And in the days to come, we'll see the sin of denial of the resurrection. So God wants us to understand these things. Secondly, He, he wants us to guard against any distractions or deceptions. He, he doesn't want us to be uninformed. Well, why are we uninformed? Well, some people are uninformed because they just want to take the time to know. Because they're so concerned about all the other things. They recognize they need to study, but they'd rather watch their program or they'd rather do their hobby. They, they know they need to read their Bible. They know they need to be in Bible study. They know, know they need to be in discipleship training, but they're distracted. They uh, are being deceived by something that has taken precedent in their life, and he doesn't want that to happen. You see that warning throughout all of Scripture, and, and it, it becomes afresh to each of us this morning. And Hosea Chapter 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The knowledge is readily available in God's Word. Isaiah 5, therefore my people go into exile, what? For lack of knowledge. Proverbs chapter 1, you see, is the book of wisdom, and it begins to explain to us all the blessings and benefits and wonders of studying God's Word and to have His wisdom. And you get down to uh, verse 8, and it says, for the fear, the very last line, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
To understand that God is in control, that understand that God says yes or no however He pleases, and therefore we are His creation. And that drives us to get to know Him. That drives us to depend on what He has said. So that is the beginning of knowledge. But on the other hand, notice this, fools despise wisdom. Have you ever tried to teach someone something and you're maybe an expert, maybe you've been spending 30, 40 years in that certain area. And they're just a little apprentice. They're just starting out. And they look at you and they respond to you like they already know more than you know. That's galling, isn't it? Well, can you imagine being the creator of the universe who knows every knowable thing? And we stand back and we think that we know more than God when our knowable knowledge is infinitesimal compared to Him? We look at His Word and we look at the choices that we have and we say, well, we'll just take our chances on the choices rather than go to God's wisdom. The fool despises wisdom and the fool despises instruction. But notice these great blessings and promises of the Lord. If anyone lacks wisdom, by the Holy Spirit, James writes, let him ask of God. And God will give you the wisdom. He'll give you a Bible. We'll give you a Bible. We're trying to give everybody we can a a good study Bible so that you are not uninformed. We want you to be informed. We want you to know the truth. This God who will give you the wisdom, He gives it generously to all without reproach. He, He doesn't scold you for asking. Maybe you've had a teacher in the past and you wanted to ask a question and they just ignored you. It was, they brought reproach. You felt <clears throat> belittled. God says, don't. Come to me. I will give it generously. Why? Because Jesus said in John 17, your word is truth. All the words of the Bible, every jot and tittle, it's the truth. And he also said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth can be Jesus and it's his word. You cannot separate the two. The, in the beginning... The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus is the Word, and the Word is Jesus. So to reject His Word, to reject Bible study, to reject time with Him, is to reject Him. You cannot separate the two. He's concerned about us knowing the truth. We see in other parts of the New Testament. Notice there in Romans. He does not want us to be ignorant of God's plan for Israel. And His plan is working out. We're, We're seeing another chapter being written in His plan for Israel. Notice there in chapter 11, verse 25. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. They've rejected the Messiah. This is by plan. This is not something that God is reporting on on the backside of it. This is something that, that he knew from the beginning until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And we, and we spent last week looking at that two-thirds of the Jewish nation will, will die during the, the Great Tribulation. And a third of them will, will rise up. 144,000 evangelists will go throughout the whole world proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. That's God's plan. But right now, Israel has rejected the Messiah and they're paying the consequences. 
Just like as a Christian, if we reject our Lord, we will, we will, we will bear the brunt. Again, we, we, we might make our choices, but we don't get to pick our consequences, right? So he doesn't want us to be ignorant. Secondly, we see in 1 Thessalonians, he, he doesn't want us to be ignorant about the second coming of Jesus in the eternal state. Chapter 4, verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed. There's our word again. <clears throat> Brothers, about those who are asleep. That, that means those that have died before us. You know the Bible teaches, absent from the body is present with the Lord. Their bodies are in the grave. There's a little cemetery down the road that we live on. It's not used very much, but when it, when it is, you know, you can, you can see because it's very small and, and another person was buried this week. It's, it's where their body resides. If you're a Christian, your, your soul leaves your body and goes into, immediately into the presence of the Lord. And if you're lost, your, your soul goes immediately into Hades, where it's awaiting its final judgment. So he's reminding them, for those that are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. And, and Paul teaches that the dead in Christ shall rise first, and they will meet their spirits in the air, and those of us that remain during the rapture will be right on the back of their heels going up into glory. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of these things. If you don't know them, it's because you haven't studied them. And you may not have had the opportunity. Maybe you're, you're a new believer. Or maybe God saved you years ago and now you're, it's, re, it's time for you to get back in His Word so that you're not uninformed. And then we see, thirdly, this, this morning that He doesn't want us to be ignorant or uninformed about spiritual gifts. And the remedy to all of this is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. It, it's our Awana um, motto. And it's not a motto, it's God's Word. It, it's, it's what these children memorize as they work their way onto their Timothy Award and memorize over 400 Scripture. Study. It's not a question mark. This is a command. Study. To show thyself approved unto God. It doesn't mean approved for your salvation. But it means approved in your sanctification. To becoming more like Jesus Christ. A workman that does not need to be ashamed. Have you ever called a business? And it's almost like you're having to do their job. I mean, they'll tell you no quickly, and you'll say, well, have you considered this, or what about that? I mean, you just keep asking questions, and it's like you're doing their work for them? Well, he's saying don't be like that. He's a workman that does not need to be ashamed, a workman who knows the answers. How do they know the answers? Because they've studied. And they don't know the right answer. Why? Because they are rightly dividing the word of truth. That, that, the thought here is... It's like someone that is trying to make equal shares, and they're cutting it right down the middle. You can do that with your kids. You say, look, we're, I'm going to give you half of this, and your brother will have half of that. And, and if you make a mistake, he's going to get the bigger piece. That'd be some meticulous cutting, wouldn't it? That's going to be right, divided right down the middle. Well, that's the way we, we're to approach God's Word. We're not going to be antinomians by throwing it away and saying it's not important. And we're not going to be legalists by adding to it. 
We see clearly that He doesn't want us to be ignorant. He wants us to understand. He doesn't want us to be distracted and deceived. And then we get to verse 2, and you know that when you were pagans, He reminds us. We need to remember back because if we don't remember back, we'll find ourselves in the same place. That's what these, these new Christians, they were living like they were still lost. Division, the sin of unforgiveness, selfishness and impatience, pride and jealousy in the church. You know what you were when you were pagans, and it's a good reminder for all of us. I mean, as we look at these these biblical lists of how we used to live, the question is, are, are any of us still living that way? Is this describe how you used to live, or is this describe how you're still living? Dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. It's how you lived. Following the course of the world. You know more about what's going on in the world than you know about what's going on in God's Word. How could that be? Following the prince of the power there, you know who that is? That's the devil. That's all of his distractions. That's all of his subtleties. It's not that you're following somebody with a, a, a tail and, and, and a horn and a pitchfork. I mean, it's just the worldly things. It's, it's the temporal things. It's the distractions. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's why the world acts the way it acts. That's why we should never, ever um, be surprised among whom we all once lived, once lived. The question is, are you still living that way? Once lived in the passions what, of our flesh and our preferences, not in the Spirit, like the rest of ma- mankind, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, notice this, children of wrath. You know, some folks think that they're children of God when they're not. We were not born children of God. We were born again as children of God. Our first birth, we were all born as as a child of wrath, a child of Satan. And I know we've got some pretty beautiful little babies here. But they have a sin nature. They're under God's grace right now. But if they live long enough, they will have to answer for their sin. Nature, the the, uh, children of wrath. We're all creations of God. We all start out children of the devil and must be born again. Like the rest of mankind, that's everybody included. But here's the great change of direction conjunction. These two words, but God. David sings a beautiful song about God. But God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Have you made that transition? Are you no longer a child of the devil? Now you're a child of God. Why? Because of His great love, He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. You know, those that think that they can work their way to heaven, this, world, this verse just demolishes all that. Because you think you're going to get to a point where you're going to be acceptable to God, and I want you to know without Christ, you're never going to be accepted. This verse says, even while you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, we, were, we could not respond to God. What happened? He made us alive. He quickened our heart. He brought salvation to us. And then what did we do? We responded. 
when your baby is born and the doctor holds him. That baby had nothing to do with anything. It just was an act of grace by the parents, and he's in the world now. But you smack that baby on the bottom, and what's going to happen? Now he's living. Now he's proving that he's alive. He's been living since conception that he had nothing to do with. That's regeneration in the Christian. And then it just progresses after that. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, this is outside of yourself. To to think that you do anything to gain heaven nullifies all of grace. If you think you had anything to do with as you get to heaven one day, you have nullified all of God's goodness and grace. For by grace you've been saved and raised up with Him and seated, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So where are you? Which, which, which side of the road are you living on? Is this before Christ or after Christ? And again, we see these, this Bible verse as a reminder of, of how we used to live. Do, do you not know? 1 Corinthians, we just covered this several months ago. Do you not know? Are you uninformed? He wants them to be informed that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You're not going to heaven if this is the practice of your life. I mean, it can't be any more clear. And then he gives us, again, this change of direction. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. Has the new come in your life? If it hasn't, you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. You're still headed to hell. Look at verse 11. And such were were some of you. That was your first birth. And now we're born again. We were born in sin and now we're reborn in righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. All of our unrighteousness was placed on Christ at the cross and he paid full, the full penalty of all of our sins. He was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again and now sits at the right hand of the Father. But what happened to us? Well, he took all of our sins away and implanted in us. Endued into us is his righteousness. Positionally, you can't be any more righteous than you are right now in Christ. You're not going to become more righteous when you get to heaven. Now, practically, that's a difference. Positionally is who you have been, uh, God has gifted you to become. And then positional or, or, or practically is what we're becoming in this flesh, as we put the flesh to death and we put the spirit on, then we begin to live out our position. You begin, you begin to understand those two biblical truths, the Bible begins to make complete sense to you. And such were some of you. But notice what happened to the Corinthians and what should have happened to all of us that claim the name of Christ, but you were washed And you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. 
Are you living in the Spirit of God? Are there fruits of repentance in your life? Before Christ, you were pagans. Fourthly, what do we see? Before Christ, we were led astray by dead idols, by false teachers. They all had their backgrounds. They all had their before Christ's testimony. But what was wrong with this church, the first century church in Corinth, is that they, they had carried that into the church. We can't carry our old lifestyle into this church. We, we, we just can't allow it. We won't allow it. And that's what we see. We're led astray. They were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. False teachers, idols, distractions. The church in Colossae was dealing with some of the same things. False teachers coming in, distracting them. And I'm going to read through this, and I, I underlined, and I think I even highlighted in your notes, all the personal pronouns for, uh, all the pronouns for Jesus Christ. And that's who we're to live for. And that's why we do what we do. Not the traditions of men. Not the traditions of church. That's why we stay away from those things. And he makes it very clear that it's all about following Christ. It's not about taking away from God's Word, and it's certainly not adding to it that we're to follow it only. And that's how he's laying out this whole argument about speaking in tongues and the different types of gifts. We go back to God's Word and He he tells us it's not by experience that we know, it's by His Word that we know. Look what he writes to the church there, Paul. Same author by the Holy Spirit. See to it that no one takes you captive. Same word here as far as the thought of leading you astray, taking you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, or what? According to human tradition. Now we saw that tradition is not the bad word here. Because there are some biblical traditions that Jesus has laid out. We are to follow those. He's differentiating those between God's tradition and human tradition. And he shows us that as it continues on. According to the elemental, elemental uh, spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So he says, go to Christ. Go to his word. For in him, notice all these... In Him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him. That word filled means to be controlled by Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. That means that your heart, the old dead heart, was cut away, and a new heart was placed in its stead by putting off the body of the flesh with the circumcision of Christ. It was an incredible surgery that was done. That's only done by the Holy Spirit. That's only done by God the Father and God the Son. Having been buried with Him in baptism. Again, when you see the word baptism, you don't need to think about water every time. The word baptism means immersion. So it's talking about being immersed not in water here. This is a dry baptism. This is being immersed into Christ. That's, water baptism is symbolic of what happens to us when we become Christians. We're baptized into Him, and He's baptized into us. We're immersed in Him. He is immersed in us. You begin to understand that, and again, you're no longer uninformed. 
in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him up from the dead. And you, and here's our little phrase again, who were dead in your trespasses and sins in the uncircumcision of your flesh. What happened? God made alive together with him, having, now circle this one, I didn't, but I did in my notes, but listen, having forgiven us, what, some of our trespasses? All of our trespasses. All of your sins have been forgiven. That's why you can't lose your salvation. When it's talking about all of your sins, it's talking about all your past sins. It's talking about all your present sins. And it's talking about the sins that you will commit in the future. That's what Jesus Christ died for. He didn't die for your past sins. And then you have to make up for your current sins. Or you have to, going to, have to pay some penance for your future sin. That's Catholicism. That's a lie. That Jesus Christ has cleansed us, 1 John 1, 7, and now we see in Colossians chapter 2 that He has cleansed us, He has forgiven us of all our trespasses. And, and then He gives us an incredible dynamic vision of what actually happened through this forensic trade-off. He says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. It doesn't follow you around anymore. He's trying to teach the Colossians this. The Corinthians need to know this. That they're allowing it into the church. He's saying, absolutely not. I've nailed it to the cross. And notice this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. As a Christian, you can't be obsessed or or, or, or possessed by any demon. There's no room for that in you. What happens is your flesh gives in. This old spacesuit that you're continually to put to death. You're to deny yourself. And let me again make sure we understand what it means to deny. You're to deny yourself the things that will harm you and hurt you and get in the way of your personal testimony for the glory of God. So anything that we give up, it's like giving, away, uh, giving up a dirt clod for a diamond. We talk about sacrifice and self-denial. It's not talking about what we're going to get to in a moment, about hurting yourself and doing without. That's not, that's not what the Bible talks about when it's talking about self-denial. It's talking about giving up something that is worthless and temporal that will hurt you and others, setting it aside and turning to God, who is the giver of all good and perfect gifts. Now, is that what you think about when you think about being a Christian? That's what God is wanting from us. That's what He did for us, canceling our debt that stood against us with all the legal demands. Thus, He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. There's nothing that, the Bible says there's no temptation that has taken you except what is common to man. You don't have to sin anymore. You choose to sin. Therefore, let no one, therefore let no one pass judgment. Let's, let's get even more personal. You and I better not pass judgment. Let no one, including us, pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to festivals or new moons or the Sabbath. Those are all man-made stuff. That's the traditional stuff. That's the preferences. 
You, you hear us talk about preference. Preference doesn't matter. Preference, you don't put that on somebody else. We're talking about the Word of God. He's talking about these preferential things. Do not allow that to go on in the church. Because all of these external things. He said, look at verse 17. This is why it's so important. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Again, these are temporal things, and you're hanging on to them, and you're loving them, and you're clinging to them. Why? Because you've had a lot, you spent a lot of time with them. How are you going to give them up now? But he's saying, no, the substance is Christ. We're not rule keepers. We're, we're the one who loves the one who rules over us. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the one who is in the Bible, who is of the Bible. Don't let this, don't let the shadow. I, I've told you the story, and I don't know how to make it any more clear. So when my kids were little and I'd come home, I'd walk in on the west side of the house, and the shadow of me as I opened the door would come into the door, and how ridiculous it would be for my kids to go dive on that shadow and try to talk to that shadow and, and, and offer blessings to that shadow when their daddy is standing in the doorway. But that's, why, that's what these people do. And that's why we vehemently stand against that. If you want to see me stand and, and square my shoulders and get to the edge of my seat, you either take away from God's Word or you add something to it. And you put your preference on it. Because God has commanded us clearly to stay out of that. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. That means harming yourself or, or making yourself look spiritual because you're denying something. And God never said you had to deny that. You're just, you're just going the extra mile. You just want people, want people to know that um, you're suffering for the Lord. Are you kidding me? Have you ever suffered for the Lord? And the Bible says if you do, you are blessed when you are. Suffering, asceticism, and the worship of angels. That was going on during that time. Going on into detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensual mind. See, it's all of the flesh and not holding fast to the head. That's Again, that's another mention of Jesus Christ. From whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is what? From God, the other doesn't grow you. It paralyzes you. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to those regulations? These man-made regulations, why would you do that? Do not handle, do not taste, do not, do not touch. Referring to the things that all perish as they're used. He's not talking about the commandments of the Lord. There are things he tells us we can to do and we can't do. But this is talking about when somebody goes further than that. It's like taking the Ten Commandments and adding 600 more laws to it. And then you become a Pharisee. Then you become a self-appointed policeman in the church. No, you're not going to do that. All these extra-biblical According to the what? Human precepts and teaching? Again, you've gone outside of God when you start doing that. These have indeed an appearance. You know what that word means? A mirage? 
You know what a mirage is when you're, when you're seeing things? It's not really there. These have an appearance of wisdom. It's a mirage of wisdom. People might look at you and go, wow, they don't eat pork? Wow, aren't they special? Oh, they don't put up Christmas trees? Oh, my goodness. Aren't they super, super, super Christians? What? Oh, you know, October the 31st, that's a demonic day. No, the Bible says this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we're going to have a little festival here, I think, Friday night. No, we don't want you coming on your witch's broom. That's ridiculous. You know better than that. But if your kids want to dress up in in a favorite costume that's not of this world, that doesn't bring glory to temporal things, and it has something to do with eternity, and it is a blessing, see how easy that is rather than throwing out everything and standing back and you're proud and you're arrogant and you're all the things that he's telling the Corinthians not to do all the things he's warning us that they're doing it for the sake of religion they have an appearance it's a mirage of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but notice this and underline it and so they have no value you think you're getting brownie points because you don't eat bacon? When God has said from heaven to Peter, rise, kill, and eat, there is nothing unclean any longer? And you're holding on to the shadow? Why are you doing Well, he's telling you why. Because you want to look religious. Because you want the attention. And you're stealing it from God has no value. Here's the other thing. has no value at all, but it also has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I want to tell you what. You start leaking here, you might clog that one up, but buddy, you're going to spring another one over here. Why? Because your flesh is in control, not your spirit. Have you not learned that yet? Well, you know, I'm going to give up smoking. You give up smoking, then you gain 40 pounds. Why? Because you start overeating. Your flesh is still in control. You haven't turned your your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, over to God so that God can walk with you every moment of every day so that you can bring glory to Him in all of your decisions. Before Christ, you and I were led astray by false teaching. That should never happen to us again. And when it does, we should be quick to confess it and quick to repent of it and turn back to God as we should. He's just laying the groundwork for us. This is important teaching. He wants us to be informed, not uninformed. And then we get to verse 3, and he's beginning to show us that what these spiritual gifts are used for. As a spiritual gifted Christian, no one would blaspheme God. No one would want to use their spiritual gift to the detriment of, of worshiping the Lord or, or selling the, the, the testimony of God. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. What he's saying is no one that's living for Jesus Christ ought to be living like you Corinthians are living. Nobody who is a believer in Jesus Christ should be living like maybe some of us are living and shouldn't be living that way. 
And when we do that, it's just like a cursing God. It's just not using His name in vain. It's living like you're not trusting Him. Which is the greater fool? The one who says there is no God? Or the one who knows there is a God and lives like there isn't one? Which is the greater fool? As a spiritually gifted Christian, no one would ever blaspheme God by their actions. They would always want to glorify God and would always want to promote the, 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 uh, the true Jesus Christ. And then finally, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. As a spiritually gifted Christian, you can only say Jesus is Lord only by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When I say say it, he's talking about meaning it. We're not talking about casting out vampires and holding up crosses and, 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 and using traditions of men. I mean to say Jesus is Lord, and that's, that's from the depth of your being because He has made you His. Nobody can say that. Notice what Jesus said in John 15, the Holy Spirit would come and He'll testify of me. All these people that lift up and praise and worship, the Holy Spirit is not to be worshipped. The Holy Spirit, yes, is, is a, a part of the Trinity. He is very much and truly God, but, but His job is to help us worship the Father and the Son. And so when you go to a church and all they talk about is Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. They've gotten their eyes off. The Holy Spirit is saying, no, don't look at me. I'm not the one that you're to worship. You're to worship Jesus Christ. Your mind and your heart should be on God, not me. I'm the facilitator of all of these things. In John 16, he will glorify. Jesus said, he'll glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is never to promote the Holy Spirit or man. But He's always to glorify God and to represent Jesus Christ. We can therefore trust in the ministry of the Holy Spirit will be exactly and in accordance to Jesus Christ and the Word of God. You can't find daylight between them. So this morning, as we just kind of cover the introduction, these first three verses, might I ask us all, is there any division among us? Is there any jealousy among us? Is there any selfishness among us? Any pride among us? Might I ask you, do you know your spiritual gift? Do you know what it is? Have you been using your spiritual gift? I mean, to have a spiritual gift and not to use it, well, I mean, that, that, that's sinful. I mean, to have a gift from God and then just to go bury it or hide it or put it under a bushel, why, why would you do that? A gift is to be given. Are you using it for the glory of God? Are you using it as a blessing for others in your church? Not in the community. I mean, you're to do both. But it's specifically given for the glory of God and for those that are sitting in these pews right next to you. And, I, and I've seen it happen. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. But is it 100% in our church? 
And what part of the percentage are you? The ones using it are the ones that maybe don't even know, and we're, we're not getting on to you if you don't know. Just let us know, and we'll, we'll, we'll fast-track you. We'll help you. Make sure that you're saved first, and if you're saved, then the Bible clearly says, we're going to see later, that He, the Holy Spirit, has given you a specific, and maybe even more than one, spiritual gift for the glory of God and for the edification of the saints. And for you not to use it, no, no wonder you, you feel unfulfilled. No wonder maybe a little spiritual depression. I mean, it'd be like taking a hunting dog and caging him up and never letting a hunting dog hunt. A hunting dog hunts. His nature is to hunt. A Christian's nature is to be like Jesus Christ. A Christian's deep down nature, after they've received their spiritual gift, is to use it in the bounds and bonds of this church. So let's go to the Lord in prayer after you've heard this from Him. How are you going to respond? How am I going to respond? As you look at that list of all the things that were going on in the Corinthian church, can, can you, do you see anything going into your life like that? So there's some confession that needs to be made and some repentance that needs to be made. And then on the other hand, if, if, you've, if you've experienced the victory, through the division and through unforgiveness. And you've experienced the, the great victory that comes by overcoming by the Spirit of God selfishness and impatience and, and pride and jealousy. Then thank God for that. And, and, and tell Him to, to keep your, help you to keep your eyes open and help you to be discerning for the, for the next trick, the next wile of the devil is coming around the corner so that you won't be caught up and distracted and deceived and maybe this morning some of you have realized you don't even know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And you heard for the first time that He would forgive all of your sins. And all of them were nailed on a cross and He paid fully. Not the devil. Jesus Christ had to save you from God's wrath. The Bible says that God is angry with the sinner every day. You had to be saved from God. And recognizing that this morning, realizing that you can't save yourself, realizing that His finished work made full payment to God by faith and trust, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. The Bible says you're, you're saved. And if that's you this morning, you walk down the aisle, not for salvation, but to show people that that's what's happened in your heart so that we can encourage you to be baptized, not for salvation, but as a recognition of what God has done. And then we're going to put you through a new members class to help you find your spiritual gift. And they're going to help you grow and to become all that God desires for you to be in this life as he prepares you for the next. So that's why this act of invitation is worship this is the culmination of all of our singing all of our giving all of our all of our preaching all of our listening and now we're to respond to walk out of here and not to respond is to say no to God you're going to be held accountable for every word you've heard this morning and my prayer is is that you're going to take advantage of this truth and start walking as we've heard this morning you will know the truth You'll know him, and he will set you free. Is our prayer this morning in Jesus' name.
Amen. Please stand this morning and respond quickly.